Welcome to the third episode of Screen Run. I am your host, The Lady One, and I'm here with... Chris Scalzo. Screen Run is the show where Chris and I cover the works of one particular artist each season, and season one is all about Kevin Smith. Episode three is Smith's third movie, Chasing Amy. It's quite a long face, Horace. I'm just having a little girl trouble. He's pressing charges. I get that a lot. Holden McNeil was set in his ways. The way he worked. The way he lived. And the way he thought love should be. But then, she showed up. Let me guess. You like her. This girl loves me. There's something you should know. She got a boyfriend. Well, no. Then what's to know, my friend? And this girl's got a secret that's going to drive him crazy. I like you, Hogan. I'd really like us to be friends. What I tell you, she just needs the right guy. What's up? If you come pick me up, I'll be your best friend. Now, the only thing standing in Holden's way is the truth. I can't take this. Can't take what? I love you. Not in a friendly way. That was your pseudo date. Okay, I'm telling you, she's never even been with a guy. You're dating a guy? So what if it is true? You know you have no shot at getting her into bed. I take it that's not good. Miramax Films presents a comedy that tells it like it feels. She's been around and seen things we've only read about in books. So what'd you do last night? Got lucky. Chasing Amy. So, Ms. Juan, I have my Chasing Amy DVD uh, in my hot little hand right now. This is my mm-hmm. out-of-print Criterion Collection DVD that mm-hmm. I probably watched, I don't know how many times, at least a dozen or so, maybe two dozen times when it first came out. There was a point in my life when this was my favorite film out of everything I'd seen. Now, uh, to provide you context. Okay. So it's 1997, all right? I am a junior in college, going to art school, trying to study to become a comic book artist, and having my own troubles with the ladies, if you went, if I may. Not <laughs> in the Holden way, but just okay. my own general awkwardness and lack of confidence and emotional immaturity. <laughs> so this and a couple unrequited love relationships in my past, and unfortunately a few to come. But either way, this film like connected with me more so than I think any film had up to that point. I think mm-hmm. hence why it was my favorite film for quite a while. So I was really anxious and nervous to revisit this because I haven't watched it probably in 10 years, if not 15. It's been, it's been a while since I've watched this. And our re-watch of all the films, each one I think I've been slightly disappointed and, and things haven't been as rosy as I remember them. Mm-hmm. So I still enjoyed Clerks a lot. Mallrats was pretty much plateaued. You didn't right? like it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there was no real difference for me, I think, with Mallrats. If anything, actually, I'm probably a little softer on it than I was when it first came out. This one, mm-hmm. it... Here's the thing. So I think you have to... One of those films that you have to watch it in the time it was created. You can't, I don't think, put a modern sensibility, for the most part, to Chasing Amy only and maybe in the only capacity you can is in some ways how ahead of its time it was but in another ways how it i think is a perfect encapsulation of the 90s and we can talk about all of that uh, mm-hmm. as our discussion flourishes and grows much like the relationship <laughs> here between holden and Alyssa. well hopefully it all it ends much better so this was not a disappointment for me there's a couple of things that are a little clunky a couple of things that were a little you know eh, cringy today yeah but for the most part, smooth sailing. What about you? What are your thoughts? What about, how do you want to tackle this? Do you want to give us a little brief history of this film? Sure. I will kind of give a little bit of background, just a little bit of context, because I don't have as much of a history with this. So we'll start with the facts. I have a deep yeah. emotional connection to this film. Yeah. Quite clearly. <laughs> well, as we said, this movie came out in 1997. Um, it stars Ben Affleck, Joey Lauren Adams, and Jason Lee. 
all of whom were in the subject of our second episode, Mallrats. Jay and Silent Bob are back in more of a cameo than anything else, or just in the one scene. They're also the inspiration behind Holden and Banky's comic, Blunt Man and Chronic. So even though they're only in one scene, their presence is, uh, yeah, it comes back quite a bit. So the movie is about Holden's relationship with Alyssa Jones, as well as with his best friend and business partner, Banky. And uh, yeah, it got really good reviews when it came out. It's 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. It won two Independent Spirit Awards, Best Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor for Jason Lee. It was a big role for Ben Affleck, his first job after Mallrats. It came out the same year as Goodwill Hunting. Matt Damon's got his cameo in this. Our three for three view us universe. Brian O'Halloran is in the same mm-hmm. scene. Casey Affleck's in it. There's a, a lot to see. And I think, too, that Affleck had been cast or had started working on Armageddon as well. There's at least a little nugget that I had gleaned from the audio commentary. Yeah, about to be rich AF. That's right. I think one of the weirdest funny things, too, there's there's one, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but there's one issue, uh, one comment I should say from the audio commentary when the Jay and Silent Bob scene where Silent Bob has a little Batman pin and Affleck's like, is that a Batman pin? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's just funny to kind of see where we ended up with Ben Affleck yeah. as Batman. But yeah. Yeah. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> yeah. So that that's kind of our background on the movie. I do not have any sort of emotional connection to this movie. I saw it after really, really being into Clerks and Mallrats. And I think Dogma was the first Kevin Smith movie that I saw. Mm. So I kind of came at everything of like, hey, this guy really loves references and like in jokes and like the same people all the time. And that's what I like in movies. And then I saw this and I was like, oh, fuck, that's a a downer. Man, (laughs) I don't think I want to be a grown up. (laughs) It was like, oh, man, that is not anywhere near as fun as those day in the life of two buddies. Like, yeah, I think that's yeah. interesting. I do think that Smith takes a big leap forward uh, yes. in his narrative style. Uh, I don't know so much maybe, and they even joke about this in, in the commentary, but I don't know so much in his his camera work. He's still very much kind of a, let's put the camera here and then have the actors yeah. act in front of it type of a thing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, but for the most part, this is, I think, a big leap forward for him uh, with his writing and his storytelling. He's still got his, his dick and fart jokes, right? That's all still yeah. in here. But he's able to tap into a well of emotion that I think we've just barely hinted at in the prior two films, especially with Mallrats and those just horrible, horrible relationships between our our leads in that film. Here, we have two emotionally stunted men, right? Dealing yeah. kind of with their own feelings. <laughs> As we tend to have in Kevin Smith movies. Yes. <laughs> yes, and and myself, I would I, I I would say too, watching this originally. But I think what's really interesting about this film is how, in some ways, as I stated earlier, how, kind of ahead of its time it is, where where gender and perhaps sexuality can even be kind of fluid, right? We don't have mm-hmm. to be confined into these particular boxes. Now there was a bit of an uproar, right, when the film came out in the lesbian community, how you could just kind of it's, that it's a choice. I can just switch mm-hmm. it off and then yeah. decide I wanted to be with a man or to be with a woman to, to to have a relationship with the opposite sex, right? And I think that the film does a reasonably good job tackling that at one point with one of Alyssa's speeches when she tells Holden why she decided to pursue a relationship with him in one of the mm-hmm. more one of the more intimate scenes in the film that I think works quite well. And I want to say that too that. There's two people in this film. I'm not going to reveal who I think does the best performance because we're going to talk about that at the end. But Joey Lauren Adams is is very good in this film. She is given a lot of dialogue-heavy scenes. And I mm. think she does exceptionally well in most of those. And if there's any issue I have with him, I do blame it a bit on Smith. I think he still overwrites a little yes. bit and doesn't let things kind of breathe. He's got yeah. dialogue he wants delivered, right? Yeah, um, I think but, he still does that. Yeah, but I think she <laughs> she has some really truly powerful moments in this film, and possibly the the topper of all of them is one where she doesn't really have anything to say, which is well, I shouldn't put it that way. It's more reaction shots when Holden makes his big confession to her in the Ford Explorer, right? And you mm-hmm. just see her reacting to what he's saying, and it is. 
probably the most powerful performance we've seen so far in any of these films. What are your thoughts on uh, yeah. JLA? Yeah, I think I think she does a great job in this. I think, like you said, his writing takes a step forward in this movie. And I actually saw an interview with Kevin Smith where, you know, the reporter basically said, well, this was also the first time you had people really capable of performing your writing in your mm. movies. Like the quality of performer. And even though Jason Lee is in the last movie, like, well, now he actually knows how to be in a movie. Right. So, you know, it's it was both a step forward for him as a writer like you said, probably not huge step forward as a director in terms of what he's doing. But then he also had a higher quality uh, performer delivering his lines. And so it really kind of makes the difference. No offense to Veronica, but <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a whole different different scenario. So no, I think true. she's really great in this for sure. She yeah. gets she gets some good stuff to say. But again, like when you watch all of this, you're like, yeah, this is just Kevin Smith's words coming out of different people throughout the same movie. Mm -hmm. he'll have a conversation with himself because he's written everything. So you kind of start to see it character to character. I don't have a problem with it. I enjoy his writing style. It's so unique, but it is, you know, it's his words coming out of everybody. Oh, yeah. Except I mean, <laughs> yeah, who else does that, right? Mamet does that. And yeah. then um, who's, um, oh, boy, I'm blanking. West Wing. He writes it on on longhand. Oh, my God. What's his name? Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Aaron's everybody. Yeah. Aaron talks about it. Talks like Aaron. So it, but I will yeah. say, I think he does a better job of that with this film. Like I said, it's still there, but I think mm -hmm. he, it improves in this film. And from what I understand too, that so while he's writing Chasing Amy, right, he turns to Guinevere Turner, who mm -hmm. was a screenwriter and actor behind Go Fish, and uh, she actually has a role in Chasing Amy, and she is a, she is a lesbian. In fact, from what I understand, Smith met her when they were doing a uh a clerk's screening right and the two of them kind of became friends so then he threw he would send her the script blindly trying to find the, the that voice that he has yeah. no identification with yes <laughs> and she for the most part was kind of like yeah okay it's not yeah i mean she had some feedback yeah. for him but for the most part it, it's it was really interesting that i think he made a conscious choice to, to reach out to Turner to try and, and be able to capture that voice a little better. And if you want to, too, um, one really interesting article that I read about this from August of 2017 from Shannon Keating on BuzzFeed. There's a 20-year retrospective, which includes a conversation with Smith as well as Turner talking about the development and the impact of Chasing Amy. And yeah. um, if I remember, I'll, I think I'll, I'll post it in the show notes. You can click on it and take a look and read it. It's a really good article. It's good stuff there. I liked... Um... And that article in particular, she mentions kind of what you said earlier about, you know, kind of there's going to be a little bit of an uproar in the lesbian community is what, what her warning was. And then a lot of lesbians were fine with it. And she's like, oh, right. I forgot. You know, we're not a monolith. Mm. <laughs> I don't speak for the lesbians. Like it's there. It's just a group of people. They can have different opinions on the movie. So it was kind of a, a nice perspective that she had to share. But yeah, she totally guided him through a lot of things in terms of what he was writing probably called him out on some bullshit and saved the movie a little bit yeah no i'm inclined to agree i definitely think it i think it was a helping hand for him too to help yes. guide that and provide maybe tweak his voice a little bit which i think it was the right thing to do yeah also just is a further reminder that kevin smith can't name a character at all gwen turner is <laughs> in mall rats <laughs> like he can't come up with a single original name at all that's funny. I didn't even thought about that. Every character name is a reference to something else. He can't think of character names. So how did this kind of... All right. So we talked a little bit about how I developed the script, but how did how did yeah. the film come about, Juan? Like, give, give me some background on that. So Kevin Smith has said this is kind of a, a combination of a few things based... The majority of which is based on his relationship with Joy Lauren Adams, who he was dating at the time. Um, just sort of... Kind of in his words, he just said that she'd lived such a life and he kind of felt like small town dude compared to her. Mm. Um, so it's a combination of that. And then Scott Mosier, the, his producing partner, has kind of had like a big time crush on Guinevere Turner, which was going nowhere. So it's kind of a combination of things created the Chasing Amy story. He did pitch the idea to Miramax, but he wanted Ben Affleck, Joey Lord Adams and Jason Lee to be in the movie and Miramax didn't really want them because they were basically nobody and they wanted john stewart david schwimmer and drew barrymore 
to be <sighs> in this movie. And he was like, uh, how about no? Give me a quarter of a million dollars. I'll make the movie. If you like it, you can buy the rights. And that's what he did. Well, I, that is interesting. <laughs> See, I did not know that. And that is fascinating to me because... <laughs> One of the things about this film is how much of a time capsule of the 90s it is, right? The clothing, yeah. the hairstyle, Alyssa's oh, yeah. eyebrows, Holden's Van Dyke, right? And what was, <laughs> so I was like in high school and college in the 90s. And it was, I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're much younger than me. I think you're coming in at about like 19, right? And it's, it was all about like layers back then. Everything was layers. <laughs> yeah. And none of them seemed to fit from, yes. from what I've seen. Uh, I remember when I was in uh, elementary school, I wore jeans that didn't fit, a giant t-shirt that didn't fit, and a giant flannel shirt that didn't fit all over all that. So, you know, I wanted to be a cool 90s kid, and instead I was, you know, like nine. So Acid wash <laughs> jeans was a big thing for me, and in high school, we would cuff our jeans. Do you ever cuff your pants? You know what that is? Do you even know what that is? I know what it is, but I've never done it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of cuffing. And, and and there was a weird thing about champion sweatshirts where if you had just the C, that was like the cheap version. So you weren't cool. You had oh. to actually have champion spelled the out. Whole word? That was that meant you shopped at the more expensive stores. Interesting. I, I don't, had no idea. Yeah, that's a big th- I, I had a very troubling childhood. I had a, I had a lot mm. of struggles. My uh, sweatshirt status symbol was the gap. Uh, hoodie that okay. so just said gap across it it was all about like what color combination you got that in so fair yeah. enough it was really important mine was navy <laughs> hold on we wrote that down it was really important to me <laughs> okay that was got the it. first time i actually opened a christmas present ahead of time i found it in my mom's closet did it ruin so, your entire holiday absolutely did and i regretted it immediately <laughs> okay. i was so excited i was like yes i got the sweatshirt oh no i know about it now Right. But, <laughs> so another thing too about the film that brings me back is just because I think that's what it is. Is I was their age during this film, right? So mm-hmm. I was doing everything that they were doing. I was yeah. a I was a, a failing artist. I had a regular <laughs> job though, and mm-hmm. I was going out to clubs and bars and talking to people, meeting people, having really kind of raunchy conversations about stuff. Uh, sex injury, sex related injuries, you know, all that Were kind you of dancing, stuff. Dancing like really awkwardly. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like Ben Affleck dancing this movie makes makes my heart hurt. Yes, it's so terrible. No smoking though. I was never a smoker. There's a lot of smoking in this film. I feel like when I was watching it, I was like, I can smell it. Like I. I, I can smell it through my laptop screen. And this mm-hmm. is how I know I'm a millennial is the smell of cigarettes makes me think of old people and not cool people. Mm-hmm. It's like my grandparents smoked. So. I'm right at the tail end of that, <laughs> of smoking yeah. being cool. Yeah. Just that, barely. That smell is just like, oh, is someone's grandma here? Like, it was not, not the cool kid smoking when I was in school. I want to spend a minute and talk about one of my favorite performances so far in a Kevin Smith film, uh, Dwight Ewell, who plays Hooper X, right? Yeah. One of the first, if actually, if not the first black character in a Kevin Smith film. I'm going to say yes. And again, he cannot name a character. Like, <laughs> Hooper, we get it. You like Jaws. Right. <laughs> Come on, man. He talks about that actually in the uh, commentary. There's two things he mentions. A, he does mention that it's the first black character because he, there were no black people in Red Bank when he was growing up. So oh. which, it was interesting. And then he does have, I guess, the scene with them all around was supposed to originally involve Quint and Brody and Hooper because they were going to do a Jaws riff oh, at some okay. point. But it didn't come together, so they they did it instead in Chasing Amy. It was supposed to be in Mallrats originally. Okay, so, gotcha. Either way. I absolutely love what he brings to that character, how mm-hmm. he plays the black militant who happens also, though, which is a persona he has to put on to sell his comics, but mm-hmm. he is actually a, a, an effeminate gay man, but someone who is powerful in his, in, you know, in who he is and loves who he is, which is good. It's nice. I think it's one of the stronger things about this film is that you have a, a few, I think, strong gay characters, right? And they're... Okay, so it's probably something better for you to tackle because I think you're you're much you're more intelligent, and I think you, about this, you could probably speak more to it. 
in regards to how would the Bechdel test apply to this? <laughs> so I think it technically passes. So why don't you tell people who may not be movie. familiar what is so, the Bechdel test? The shorthand version of the test is to have two female identifying characters who na- whose names you know uh, have a conversation with each other about something other than a man. And now that I'm thinking about it, do we know her girlfriend's name at the end? Because that's the scene I'm thinking of where they don't talk about a man. Mm. But mm, I don't know. I'm not sure. It happens a, a lot where um, the women in movies serve as love interests and therefore they only have a conversation about the guy because they're they're in orbit around him in his story and if they have a best friend they only talk to the best friend about the guy they don't really have conversations about other stuff so while we see Alyssa talk about other things in the movie you know she talks about where she grew up she talks about her work that she does she talks about her past relationships with were not with men pretty much all the time she's having those conversations with men um, when she's talking to her group of girlfriends, she's talking about Holden. I'm trying yeah. to think of if she speaks to a woman. She speaks to her girlfriend at the end in the scene one year later. Holden comes up in the conversation, but I don't think we know that girlfriend's name. Well, so there's Kim, who she's dating at the time of the reveal that she's a lesbian to Holden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but the two- they don't really talk. <laughs> no, they, she asked her to dance, right? And that's yeah. about the extent of it. And then they there's a, an exchange. So the woman at the end, her girlfriend at the end of the film is yeah. titled, according to IMDb, Con Woman. Oh, bummer. So that doesn't help. <laughs> and then it's there's one other. So there's a cut scene with Ileana Douglas. And okay. uh, there is, it's, it's basically where Douglas is kind of challenging him for what he's kind of after with uh, with Alyssa, and she's credited as Alyssa's roommate. Mm, no go. No go. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not it's not going to happen often on this podcast that we're going to get. <laughs> but she's, I think, yeah. a relatively strong and well fleshed out character, right? I mean, she has. Yeah. Her, she doesn't exist, I think, entirely as a foil, right, for Holden. She's not a shallow character of a love interest, right? I think which is integral yeah. to the character because, she, A, she has to deal with her own personal issues with her, I guess, her sexuality and coming to grips with the fact that she's attracted to him and wants to be with him. So, and she does have her own backstory. She does have mm. uh, her own, I think, her own identity. And she exercises that quite a few times where there's, there's the confrontation when Holden first uh, confesses his love to her and her reaction to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, she appropriately tells him to fuck off for like two or three times in this film. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, for I, sure. She's, she exists as a love interest that is constantly challenging him. So mm-hmm. that's something different. But she exists as a love interest. Yeah. We're only seeing her as she relates to him. It's not always going the way he wants it to, but that's the only only context for her. The only time we see her not in a, in a scene with him is when she's speaking about him. So she she revolves around him. Everybody in this story does, though. I mean, Banky yeah. revolves around him too. And it, that's what happens when you have like the protagonist of the movie. It it's going to go that way a lot. True. It's not like if a movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test, it's not a capable of being a good movie and it's not as if a movie passing the Bechdel test makes it a good movie it's just something to consider when you're watching just to kind of look at it just to see if it actually happens because it's kind of crazy how uh how little it happens Hmm. in going (laughs) through this movie like I obviously remembered what it was about remembered the general premise but was really struck re-watching it even though I'd re-watched it fairly recently I was struck rewatching it by just just like how strongly he's telling people stories that are not his because that's I mean he's obviously the Holden character like that's who Kevin Smith is like putting himself as is like he was in a relationship with a girl he felt was more worldly than him and he you know he's trying to fulfill his artistic dreams but he's like you know kind of just like to pay the bills like even down to the goatee like Holden is our standard for Kevin Smith in this but like he's also so strongly telling Alyssa's story which is a story that he is just even as he said just like blindly guessing at like has no idea Kevin Smith has weirdly said he identifies with lesbians that he's just like yeah like I feel like I identify as a lesbian and that lesbians don't identify with me but I do and like 
I, I don't even know where to go with that because I feel like he thinks it's a really positive thing that he's saying. It's like a I don't see color <laughs> type of a thing. Yeah, or? it's one of those where you're like, well, you you don't understand literally any of the challenges that that come with that. Hmm. You just you, you have some stuff in common kind of. Okay, like I'm I can't even begin to unpack that all the way, but I was bothered when I was watching this by just like how this story is coming from him. And then made me feel a lot better <laughs> to watch Jay and Silent Bob reboot, where he basically is like, yeah, my bad. Like <laughs> <laughs> to have Alyssa Jones say, it's always a story that should have been told from a queer perspective or a woman's perspective or any perspective other than a cis white male's. Mm. Like he wrote that line for the character of Alyssa to come back and say, is basically being like, yeah, my bad. Sorry about that, guys. But at least I didn't do a terrible job with it. And I think that's kind of where I landed at the end of it is I was just like, why is he telling this story? He doesn't know it. He's just guessing at it. And I guess congrats that you guessed in a way that doesn't fall apart completely. Yeah. But, you know, I can't. He gets it now. <laughs> like, I guess that's good. And I guess it's good that he chose to tell somebody else's story other than, you know, just his usual white buddy hetero guy thing he like mixed it up a little so he was taking steps it's just sort of like if this was a tv show you'd want representation in the writer's room to tell that story accurately but with movies just so often you just have one person writing it and with kevin smith you always just have kevin smith writing it so it's kind of a shame that this wasn't like a movie by kevin smith and guinevere turner like if she was so important to making this movie accurate and tell the story right why wasn't she a co-writer? Why wasn't she a producer? Why didn't this launch her into the next step of her career? I don't know anything she's done other than her in context of the viewist universe. Like, he didn't bring her up with him. Wow. You know, in the words of Joe Rogan, that's a fucking good point. <laughs> the only time you'll ever hear me quote Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Man. Good for you. <laughs> like, that is great. sit in this moment of like, how yeah. smart I sound right now. <laughs> But yeah, like he he took the time to say, like, I need to make sure I'm telling this right. Let me check with somebody who knows it. But he didn't like put her on. He didn't yeah. hire her. He doesn't think that way. It doesn't appear. And it doesn't seem to be malicious in any way. But like, I don't know, like I watch a lot of Mike Schur TV shows and he's always making a point of like, we need to bring in different perspectives and different backgrounds because otherwise we're like missing out on tons of stuff that could work. that could be funny. That could make things better. You know, it's nice to see that Kevin Smith is aware of like the limitations perhaps that he has as someone telling stories, but he's still not really like doing anything about it. He's just sort of acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No, I like that. That's good. <laughs> now I hate this film. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I feel bad. Like all the the Hooper stuff really bothers me. Knowing that Kevin Smith wrote it, like I'm like, did you run that by anybody else? Like, yeah. Did you do that too? <laughs> like, I don't know. I it's, it feels weird. A lot of the stuff feels weird. Knowing that it all kind of kind of shot out of his brain. The same and, way as his other stuff. And that's another good point that article makes in BuzzFeed, right? About Hooper's arc and how when he talks about he's a minority of a minority, right? Yeah. Well, black w- gay women are yeah. even another, an additional level of minority. And then if mm-hmm. you want to get into black, you know, to trans women, well, that's another, I mean, Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no. And those scenes too, uh, with Hooper, though, I, I, I really enjoy his performance. He's one of the more fun things about it. There is a uneasiness kind of watching that stuff too Mm -hmm. i i must admit Uh, because again there are quite a few hard r's not as many as mall rats i think there's only like two Mm -hmm. hard arslers in this one which i think i appreciate the easing up of that but i think that um the arc that jason lee has and when i talked about joy lauren adams the other person I'm speaking of when I say two of my favorite performances is Jason Lee. He's actually mm-hmm. quite good in this. And he takes a major step forward, I think, from Mallrats, as you talked about earlier. Yeah. I think he is really good in this. And like you said, he won an Independent Spirit Award, right, for his performance. Mm-hmm. Yep. But one of the things Smith is trying to establish here, right, is this potential uh, homosexual relationship. Wow, I really hit that hard, didn't I? <laughs> This potential kind of this, this, because I was trying to struggle with the right phrase to put it, and unfortunately I popped the homo part of that <laughs> a little louder than I meant to. 
but but that Banky has these feelings that he has for Holden that he can't really qualify or quantify, and he can't really mm-hmm. express what they are. Yeah. So he acts out in these with these homophobic slurs as insults and almost every joke and everything he says is using a a gay term or slang term in a pejorative manner. Mm -hmm. And Smith tackles this, I think, really well with a speech from Joy Lauren Adams during the skee-ball date scene that he cuts. Yeah. So let's actually take a listen to that. Yes, please. So your friend's quite the homophobe. Oh, he just feels left out, I think. I'm not talking about his infantile hang-up with me. I'm talking about when you two were playing that game. Every time he swore, when his players messed up, called them cocksuckers, he referred to his players as faggots. He called you a cock-teaser. Oh, I thought he was talking to you. I know you think it means nothing, and it may in fact be unintentional, but it's ugly all the same. Oh, he was just pissed he was losing. So he slammed the gay community. All right, now don't get all PC on me. I'm not, but what is that saying? Saying he gets too easily frustrated. No, it's passive-aggressive gay bashing. How do you figure that? How easily did it roll off his tongue, you know? And that's how he expresses his anger, by calling people faggots? Alyssa, I think you're reading a little too much into this. <laughs> no, I think you're just so used to it, it rolls off your back. I've seen you two play your little mm-hmm. rank-out game where one insists the other is gay. You're a faggot. No, you're a faggot. I mean, it's cute and all to watch you go at it like grade schoolers, but it's also offensive. Labeling and ducking the label of being gay as if it were the scarlet fucking letter. I really think you're blowing this way out of proportion. I mean, we live in a more tolerant age now, right? You refer to yourself as a dyke. Hooper calls himself a faggot all the time. Yeah, but that's what's known as empowerment disempowerment. You know, I call myself a dyke so it's not too devastating when some throwback screams it at me when I'm leaving a bar at night. It's the same for Hooper. By calling himself a faggot, he steals the thunder away from the mouthy jerks of this world who'd like to beat him to it. But the difference between us saying it and your friends saying it is miles wide. We say it to to dull the pain, you know? He says it for lack of a better expression at any given moment. No, Holden, we do not live in a more tolerant age. And if you think that's the case, then you've been in the suburbs way too long. So I think that is really well written. And I think that- How the fuck do you leave that out? Yeah, I think she delivers that perfectly as well. So when you watch that scene, the pacing of it and how it rolls, I can see where that's going to trip you up a bit. It's important, and it's re- I think very well written and exceptionally delivered. But it's, it, I think I think in the end it may slow down the momentum of that scene. But you got to figure out a way to get that in. I don't know if it's another conversation someplace else. Maybe you trim thirty seconds of it or condense something. I don't know. But I got to tell you, man, that thing is pretty powerful. Yeah, I was watching that scene before and after I rewatched this movie. So I watched it a couple of times. And if that scene had been in there, I feel like I like this movie better because (laughs) I take personal issue when I'm watching a movie and a character in it is doing or saying something wrong and the movie doesn't go enough in the direction of making me know that they, they are incorrect. I've seen it in a lot of things that I watch that you like you see a character do or say something and then they don't get checked on it and you're like, does the movie think that's okay? Am I the only one who thinks that's wrong? Like it's not clear enough. And when when Banky is having his conversation with Holden where he's saying, you know, she just needs the right dick, like that's just all she needs. Like to not have this scene at some point in the movie explain yeah. just like what the hell's wrong with Banky. You can absolutely find people out there who have taken Banky's you know, dismissal of gay women entirely as as a serious thing. Like, to just be like, well, that's what he's saying and that's how he's explaining it. And yeah, this movie's totally what I'm thinking, man. And then you don't see that he's completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, you need somebody to undermine all the ridiculous bullshit he's saying. I don't feel like without that scene, enough is done to address his behavior and really handle it in any actual way. That last scene with with Holden and Alyssa and Banky where he's, you know, giving his proposal of how they should handle things. Yeah. That's not enough to like deal with the way Banky is the entire movie. As you watch it, he gets more and more aggressive and hateful. And it, I honestly find it to be distracting hmm. in the movie that I'm like, I can't enjoy this anymore because he is so miserable and trying to bring Holden into his misery. Like it's awful. 
to me. I really, really hate the way his character goes. It's it's the way it's written, but like I find it really frustrating. And if her scene of explaining the use of those terms and like giving context to exactly like she says in the scene, like that's why I can say it. That's why Hooper can say it. That's what is happening in the movie. Otherwise, the movie kind of lets it off as like, ah, it's fine that Banky keeps saying that. Yeah. No, you don't, you don't get the entirely. call out. It 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 weakens the movie, in my opinion. There was room for it. I agree with you entirely. And, that, <laughs> and too, that final scene, when you just <gasps> watch that, it's just like, no, no, no. And like you're having the same reaction that Alyssa's having, too. Yeah. Like, like, don't do this. Exactly. Don't do this. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I have <laughs> I have issues with this movie. I I want it to end at least twice before it actually ends i wanted to end where she tells him to fuck off and she's gonna hitch home mm. i wanted to end there i wanted to end at 57 minutes with her just being like are you fucking kidding me get out of here with that and the next scene after that is is banky just saying this is gonna end badly yeah 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 it will and then i i wanted to end again when you know she's explaining to him when she says he's the missing piece of the big fucking puzzle i'm like okay just end it just end the movie quick. Just end it quick. And it just keeps going. And it, it's so brutal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So we're inching closer to the end of the show. And then I'm, uh, as I try and ponder what one's movie rating is going to be, I am uh, <laughs> I am not feeling confident at this point. No. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. yeah I think this is going to be our, our biggest discrepancy in scores throughout the entire series. For sure. Quite, quite possibly. <laughs> I still think in the end, uh, even with all of the, the, the struggles maybe that the film has, I still have a connection to this thing that I don't think. There's just certain things oh, yeah. in your life. There's like an album, yes. right? There's yeah. certain moments that whenever you view or whenever you take in that that content, that culture, whatever it may be, it's kind of formative as to who you are, right? Chasing mm-hmm. Amy was a film like that for me. Um, David Bowie's Low. Right, change the way I hear music. Right, there's certain things that just impact you, and this was one of those things. And I think for the most part, for me, it does still hold up mostly. Yeah, I think as I stated, a time capsule for the '90s, particularly with men and their uh, emotional immaturity and understanding of themselves and their sexuality and all this stuff and how to deal with these kind of conflicting feelings Mm -hmm. which unfortunately is still a problem today uh i think it i think it does a pretty good job of handling that i think it's clumsy with a lot of its relationship stuff particularly with with juggling Alyssa's sexuality at times but for the most part for me i think it still it still works and i probably out of all the smith films definitely out of the three we've watched this is still the one i quote the most to this day uh particularly you will hear me say i'm sure we've hung out you and i i think once now and i may even have said it but when like they're playing dart she asks him if she wants to play dart do you play dart not professionally i say that anytime anybody asks me anything oh do you ever insert activity i go no not professionally only uh I still say that all the time. Filled out like an application is one of my favorite things, but obviously <laughs> I don't, that's not a lot easy to work in the conversation. Yeah. Those, There's I don't know. good lines. Yeah. It's some good stuff. Everybody's got a movie like this. Like when something hits you at the right time and place, it's nice to be able to hold on to that. Like mine, I'm literally like looking at the poster right now for mine. Mine is Garden State. I mm. waited a long time to rewatch it because I was so afraid. I was like, oh, no, what is this going to be looking back? And it still works for me. That's the beginning, right, of the manic pixie dream girl trope, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's happening hardcore in that movie. I can (laughs) dissect that movie and see the things, quote unquote, wrong with it and like see how it doesn't work completely. But like for me, when I saw it, where I saw it, the way I saw it, like, no, that's never going to that's never going to change. Mm hmm. That soundtrack's always going to make me lose my shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. It doesn't mean it's a perfect movie. It just means that it's always going to like have a special place for me. Like it just, it happened at the right time and place. Exactly. It, and that's one of those films that I'm one of those losers. That's how I discovered The Shins, which is like one of my favorite bands. <laughs> so I'm one of those people. It's okay. So <laughs> would you consider Chasing Amy a cult classic? I know we talked about this with Mallrats. Mm. Ugh. 
Gosh, I don't know. I don't feel like, I don't think so. Because I don't think that it was, you know, so below the radar when it happened. I think it was just sort of like, it's not, it was not ever going to be a blockbuster movie. Look at what it's about. So you don't think there's a dedicated, passionate fan base? This is Wikipedia, right? So it's it's commonly referred to as a film that's acquired a cult following. They're known for their dedicated, passionate fan base, which forms an elaborate subculture that engage in repeated viewings, quoting dialogue, eh, and audience participation. No. No. So I think while this movie has fans that love the movie, that includes you, um, Mm -hmm. I think as far as like any cult status for it, I don't think anybody is like, oh, I'm fucking obsessed with Chasing Amy. Like, no, I don't think so. Like, you might be obsessed with, like, Kevin Smith movies and, like, all the references in and out. There's so many references in this movie to the other two movies. Um, mm. You know, I can't, I can't watch them play skee-ball and not think that Dogma's coming. Like, yeah. God's got to come down and play skee-ball. That's right. Like, <laughs> like, I couldn't not think of that. Like, it's self-referential to his other works like any sort of cult status for it would definitely be tied to his his work as like you know his overall quote unquote, like portfolio of movies well I, dictionary is a little looser something typically a movie or book that is popular or fashionable among a particular group or section of society yeah i don't know because i don't think there's no chasing amy midnight screenings anywhere yeah i can say that like yeah it just it quietly like pieced out of Netflix and nobody even angry tweeted about it. And the other thing too, as I <laughs> as I hold up my 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 Criterion DVD again, out of print, yeah, for a few years now, Nobody's and mad. selling for <laughs> a couple bucks on eBay, yeah. So like it's I think that's your I answer. I just think on its own, it, it's not cult status, but it was a well reviewed movie that won some awards when it came out, and mm-hmm. then you know, people in it kept working. I don't think it has any of the the downside that that a cult classic comes to comes out of. It didn't have the hardship, right, to earn that status. It just came out and it was good and people liked it. No, that's true. That's good. So. I wanted to drop a couple commentary things on you, which I found really interesting. Okay. Well, somewhat interesting. Oh, okay. So the, the commentary <laughs> for chasing Amy on the on the Criterion DVD is not very informational technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much looser and it, it's folk, it's mostly Smith Muse. Well, I should say Muse is a non-presence. He <laughs> pops up even less here than he did in Mallrats and Clerks. Oh Affleck, though, again, is a delight. He takes up a lot of the conversation, but it's mostly Smith Mosier and some other folks. But Affleck is great because I think every time he kisses Alyssa, because Smith was dating Alyssa at the time, Mm-hmm. or Joey Lauren Adams at the time the film was made. They had actually since broken up when the commentary was being recorded. But Affleck never misses a, a chance to say, oh, yeah, I'm kissing your girl here. Yeah, <laughs> over and over. So it's it's qu- it's quite amusing. Yeah. Uh, Holden 2, I keep going back and forth on that. I just want to state that I hate Catcher in the Rye. I hate that book. And whenever yeah. I hear that name, <laughs> I get a visceral response, which is weird for me, but I don't like eh, it. It's okay. Don't like it. Horrible book. <laughs> there were two. There was another original name for finger cuffs oh. in the yearbook, and it was pitch and putt. And in France, it's multi plug, which is <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's terrible. So, uh, and Smith's favorite scene in the film is in the argument outside of the hockey rink in the parking lot, which I think mm. is fantastic. And again, some really top shelf work from Joy Lauren Adams in that scene. Yeah, that's probably why it's his favorite scene. He's like, look at my beautiful words coming out of her beautiful face. Like, <laughs> And then I think that Ben Affleck, too, really puts a timestamp on it. He makes an Admiral Stockdale reference. So any of the kids listening, you want to go ahead and Google who Adam, Admiral Stockdale is, <laughs> which was all the uh, rage at the time. So uh, that should tell you how old this film is. <laughs> Have you ever seen 500 Days of Summer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I have. It makes me think of this movie so much. Mm-hmm. I was watching the, the scene the scene that we talked about before where Holden is you know, confessing his feelings and he just has to. I'm just like, I'm watching it from her perspective. And like that's why I said it earlier. I just wanted that scene to end after she tells him to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Because she has given absolutely no green light yeah. to that moment. And it it is... They're driving and he just fucking pulls over and stops and tells her all of these things. That is a frightening moment. 
Like yeah. she should be afraid. I get it that she gets out and runs away mm. and he gets out and chases her and he's our good guy. Like, I don't understand. It was bothering me so much that I'm like, I am watching this the same way I watched that movie where I'm just like, no, you're putting your stuff on her. Stop it. It's that same thing. It was bugging me. That's entirely a kind of a, a white male kind of cis guy yeah. in his early 20s thing. Yeah. Entirely. Both those films represent that. I think 500 Days of Summer probably does a better job of, of encapsulating that, though I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that film is a little more romanticizes that. Listen, it needs, yeah. as you said, that woman's perspective on those situations, which it just plainly, unfortunately, doesn't have. Yeah. I Honestly, I worry that 500 Days of Summer was a little too subtle for, for mm-hmm. some people to realize, like, what the point of it was and in even in watching this one i i had the same kind of thought where i'm like is he aware how creepy this is is him asking his best friend and his girlfriend for a threesome at the end like are we supposed to take that as like nail in the coffin he really fucked this up or are we supposed to be like this is the answer he's right because i'm watching it and i'm like this is terrible and she's sitting there going don't do it don't do it and i don't know it it's kind of going back to what I said before where I'm like, I can't tell if a movie is telling me something is wrong with what this person is doing or if the movie thinks it's okay. Where I was so happy at the end of this movie to see, obviously, you know, I know how it's going to end, but to see the three of them all doing their own thing because they were in toxic relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. Banky and Holden was toxic. Holden and Alyssa was toxic. Like it g- generally seemed only one directionally toxic like she was really really handling it well considering all of the changes it meant for her life and he was the one struggling when he didn't really have to do anything but like it it wasn't right it wasn't working so to see the three of them all split in their separate directions i was like oh thank god at least someone's gonna be able to grow here because there was not going to be any growth if any of those two different couples stayed together no, I think that's true. I think that's fair. I think that, uh, and I think Smith knows that, and he tries to tell us that right by watching Alyssa's reaction to it. Yeah. It's particularly, you know, she says, I'll always love you, but pop, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, it is one of the more, uh, again, one of the more powerful moments in the film, and entirely sure. right. You're entirely right about that. I guess all I should really worry about is what I'm taking away from a movie when I'm watching it, but I can't help but worry about somebody else being like, oh man, she's the worst. She let him on, that she broke his heart. Oh, please, I hope nobody thinks that about Right. Yeah, now. What do you think of the ending of the film after Holden goes? What happens after Holden goes through that door? Smith says there's two ways to look at the ending. He says if you're if you're a dreamer, then you think maybe they got back together. And if you're a realist, you know they don't. There's no way they belong together. Mm-hmm. At all. <laughs> Even in watching the movie, I felt like she was lowering herself to him when mm. they were together he didn't really seem to be bringing anything to the table. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think the two of them had moved on. I think they all three of the characters have some growth, particularly Banky and yeah. Holden much more, I think, than Alyssa needed to, obviously. But yeah. uh, I think they definitely do have the, the exhibit that growth at the end of the film. And I think it is one of the better scenes, the the silent conversation between Banky and Holden at the convention, you know, where they're across the room from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the stronger scenes for the two of them together throughout the whole film so yeah yeah speaking of which Hmm. is there any particular scene in this film that jumped out at you is there anything else you want to say first before i Uh -uh. steamroll you into uh let's get into it so i was looking at my notes from our last episode where i was looking at uh my favorite reference in the last episode and i was like rewriting over it and it Again, my favorite reference in this movie is the Jaws reference in the scar scene. Like, I just mm-hmm. love the whole setup of that scene. It's just so perfect. And it's the one time in the entire movie when, when Becky is not making me angry. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. In fact, I think it's, it's, it's my favorite scene in, in the film as well. So for you to fuck is to penetrate. You're used to the more traditional definition. You inside some girl you duped, jackhammer in a way, not noticing that bored look in her eyes. Hey, I always notice that bored look in her eyes, all right? (laughs) Fucking is not limited to penetration, Banky. 
For me, it describes any sex when it's not totally about love. I don't love Kim, but I'll fuck her. I'm sure you don't love every girl you sleep with. Some of them I downright loathe. And then, of course, it rolls into eventually the talk of all the uh, the injuries that they yes. experience, right? Which is your Jaws clip, really. Yeah. So, but yeah, that whole scene at the bar, I think, is just, it, it is a, a raunchy delight. I yeah. really, and then Affleck, too, is quite good in that because you can see he's uncomfortable because every dash, every dream, you can see while you're watching when Alyssa's performing the song and he thinks it's about him, right? <laughs> You see in his head, he's thinking like, oh, we're going to get married. We're going to have kids. This is it, you know? And then then the whole thing turns. His whole world is rightfully shattered at that moment. Mm -hmm. And he wants nothing more than to run out of that club, you know, as quickly as he can. But but Alyssa and Banky have this great moment together. A shared moment (laughs) where they talk about all of their misadventures. Yeah. And it's it is so good. Yeah, it's a great. It is absolutely yeah. great. It's like a classic Kevin Smith scene because it's your reference to Jaws that you gotta have. And then it's also inside of that our back and forth with our other characters in the viewist universe. So we we get like a, a two for one reference scene in that one. It's and it's so perfect. Just just like you said, like Ben Affleck in that scene, he's just like he just wants out. It is it is so Brody not measuring up, just sitting there feeling sad <laughs> next next to Quentin Hooper, like I've got no stories, I've got no scars, I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> it's so perfect. I love it. Yeah, that one and the what's the other big reference heavy scene is the is the dark game. Yeah. Right. When they're talking to they're going through the history basically. They're basically running through the history. And then also the the finger cuffs reveal. Not only is the yeah. actor who tells the story outside of the quick stop, yeah. he actually had a role in Clerks that was cut. He's the guy that walks in and shoots Dante. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then in Chasing Amy, he's the guy who's relaying the story about finger cuffs in front of the quick stop, gotcha. which is yeah. weird to see in color. Yeah. Oh, it's every time I see the quick stop in color, I'm like, what? No. So I think my favorite <laughs> joke in the film. Yeah. is one I mentioned earlier because it's just it's such a throwaway but it, it gets me every time which is a, it might be that not professionally when she t- he talks about the darts or yeah, or the head. when they're playing skee ball or they says oh this place is like Spanish fly that's probably the first time I don't get lucky it is good my um my favorite joke in this is so pathetically like juvenile it's not even like a, a dirty joke just like in that early scene where uh Casey Affleck uh has his cameo when they're giving Banky shit for being a tracer, just the whole your mother's a tracer is just <laughs> like it's so stupid. <laughs> but it cracks me up every single time because like that's what I want. Is I just want like Jason Lee yelling like silly things with somebody, not like slurs. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's what I want. I want your mother's a tracer. Like it's just it's so silly. And uh, I love that. Makes me giggle every time. But no, not professionally. Good. It's pretty solid. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've used it over the years. I'm such a hack. It's fine. <laughs> I also, too, I'll yell out, punch him in the neck number 12 at any sporting event that I'm at. <laughs> All right. Best performance? Do you want to go first here? Uh, Sure. You're so... going to have a more like in-depth answer. Hmm. So. Do it. I think in the end, you know, when I was putting my notes together for our conversation, I actually had Jason Lee down. Mm-hmm. And I think that as we've spoken today and as I've, I've run through all this back into my head, I think I got to go with Joy Lauren Adams. I think I got to call an audible and just yeah. see that she's her character, I feel, has the most power in the mm-hmm. film. I think she also she does deliver the best performance just those scenes where she gets a lot of the heavy lifts in this film and she does a great job with it but she also has these quieter moments with just these reaction shots that are absolutely i think at times devastating so mm-hmm. in the end i think i gotta go with uh joy lauren adams yeah um you're gonna hate my answer mm-hmm. which is fine it's just like a good way to build into when we get to the ratings which you'll also hate my favorite performance in this movie is kevin smith that is his preposterous. Up, his upgraded version of the Bob speech from Clerks is so much better. It and is. The line, bitch, 
what you don't know about me, I could just about squeeze into the fucking Grand Canyon. <laughs> like, like, no, done. He's just my favorite. He's the only person who at some point in the movie doesn't make me go, what the fuck are you even doing? Like, <laughs> he's the only one whose behaviors I am on board with from start to finish, probably because he's only in one scene. Wow. It's he, like all he, Alec Baldwin level <laughs> in Glengarry Glen Ross praise here. He's, just, he's on screen for like eight it. minutes and uh, he steals your uh, artistic heart there. Totally. He's my fave. Everybody else was making me angry and he didn't upset me. So it wasn't Jay just eating spoonfuls of sugar? <laughs> he's like coked up in the scene. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the Bob. <laughs> I do love that. What she wanted was me, the Bob. She wanted the Bob. <laughs> it is a great moment, and he is quite good it's in in that particular scene. He's chewing on his nails, like I'm chasing Amy. He's like, "What?" And then Jay's reaction, well, everybody acts all surprised when he, <laughs> which so is quite good. good. But yeah, no, I, yeah. that's fair. I think it's a cheat, and you should be, you really should be ashamed of yourself. Eh, but I'm not. But <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. I stand by it. It's a weird choice, but it's it's me finding my favorite performance. Fine. It's not the best. It's my favorite. So I'm I'm, I'm just gonna uh. I'm gonna say give you my rating and then mm-hmm. kind of rip off the band aid. So then you can just go ahead and stab me in the back with this. Well, do you want me to go first? That way we can end it on a positive. I guess. Uh, sure, <laughs> but I may be too upset. But go ahead, go ahead. What do you got? What's your rating? Now, remember, folks, we do golden movies, and we you can have a half movie. So uh, Zero to five. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm giving it a 3.5. Oh, all right. Because I kind of hate this movie, but I recognize how technically good it is, like in terms of the performances, the script, the ties to the universe are interesting. I hate Holden. I don't like Alyssa's choices throughout the context of this movie, I like the Alyssa they talk about. I don't like the Alyssa I see. Mm. Banky is intolerable and intolerant. There is a lot of whiny brats, and I'm so glad they're not with each other in any capacity at the end. It's it's toxic. I don't like it. I like the songs that play in the movie, and <laughs> I like some small parts of it. I don't enjoy the feelings I have while watching this movie. So 3.5. Wow. All right. That's not. <laughs> wow. I was expecting like a two or a one and a half. So. No, it's not bad. I just don't like it. What? <laughs> We're going to get to things that are bad. I know. Uh, all right. Here's my problem. All right. So on, on our my other show, right? We have a, <laughs> we have a genre specifics. We have a, a rating scale A through F. Unless something's really bad, then we'll get to like G. We also grade on a curve for a particular genre, right? So if I'm grading. Here's the thing. I've been grading these so far, I think, as just films that exist and not specific to a Kevin Smith curve. Like out of his work, what is this film? Well, if that's what I'm doing, then I think this is like a four and a half. Okay. Um, I originally had it at a four, but I could get to a four and a half, maybe even a five if I'm talking just Kevin Mm -hmm. Smith movies out of the Mm -hmm. work he's done then it would be a four and a half, or as Anthony Fantan would say, it was a a a hard four and a half, uh, a light <laughs> five. What did you say? So, yeah. So I'll go four and a half then. I'm gonna give it a four and a half, which will probably I imagine may be my highest score. Though I do love Dogma, which is what we have on tap next, right? Yeah, so. that's next. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the the highest. Just just to recap mm-hmm. for the folks at home, you gave Clerks a four. I gave it a four and a half. You gave Mallrats a two and a half. I gave it a four and a half. <laughs> you gave Jay Z Amy a four and a half. I gave it a three and a half. Nice. Let's see. I don't know. I figured you were gonna go full five, and I talked myself out of a three into a three point five because it was like honestly, like there is good stuff in this, and I did choose to watch it like a month ago for no reason other than I was like. Oh, yeah, I'm going to revisit that. Mm-hmm. And then I just didn't like how I felt while it was happening. <laughs> but, you know, I still went and do it willingly. Yeah. So, you know what? Yeah. That's a fair point. Going off of my memory. Yeah. I think this is his best film. So if that's my scale. See, this is why I'm a fraud. If that's my scale, <laughs> then this is a five. 
you you can give it a five if you want to. I know. I'm trying to be like full respectable critic it. and just say do like, it. yeah, <laughs> sure. Okay, we talked you into it. There you go. So I'll give it a five. I think it's his best work. We'll see as stuff progresses. Maybe who knows? Everything's fluid, much like uh, Banky, I guess, in this film. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so if you uh, disagree or agree or there's something we didn't talk about, just go bother us on Twitter. Um, come make a scene online. Um, I am at the lady one. That's W-A-N for one. And uh, Chris, what are you at? I'm at C-G Scalzo. That is S-C-A-L-Z as in zebra Oh. It looks like when you draw Scrabble tiles. <laughs> that's, that's what your Twitter handle looks like. It's fine. <laughs> that's true. And I'm sure like you'd be able to leave you can leave a comment like uh, uh um I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But we, like on, on we'll post them on like YouTube, right? And then yeah. pos- on the website itself, you can leave comments too. We're just just go crazy. Go everywhere. Anywhere you find us, you can leave a rating, leave a review. Subscribe to the show. You'll find it anywhere podcasts are found. And then you can also go to screenrun.fun. That's right. Which <laughs> is my favorite URL ever. And uh, there's stuff there, probably. Oh, it's <laughs> there awesome. There will be. <laughs> oh, it's the six flags of podcasting right there. Yeah. You got to go check it out. Good times. All right. Well, we'll be back next time for Dogma. Yay. <laughs> no, I'm I'm looking forward to Dogma. I was running a movie theater when Dogma came out, so it was a it was really oh. kind of a, a great moment for me. I had a lot of fun being able to watch that in the theater, you know. And uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun to revisit this one too. Get excited, guys! Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon. <laughs>